Okay, uh, let's see. Where are we here? Um, like I said, there's a list. Yeah. I've put it Next in a, a sort of order. Oh, I should refresh. A sort of order or a sorted order? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that. Uh, or is it a sorted order? Today, October D, 6th. not T. October 6th? Yes, Thursday, October 6th. It's a sorted order, it was. Let's... Well, the, the, the thing I wonder about this first item here, did, I mean, did the pilot think he could just go right through it? Hang on a second. I, I do want to talk about this. I've heard this. Um, <laughs> what am I doing here? I'm doing this. Do this. I, I, I wondered if he you know, didn't want to stand in line for a ticket. You think so? Okay, I guess we've started. All right, we've started. Um, well, we don't know about you, but we have. Yeah, <laughs> right. we're, we're willing to start without you. While I was gone, you started. You didn't tell me when I came back. Um, this is the story about the airplane that, that crashed into the Ferris wheel and actually managed to get hung up in the Ferris wheel. Um, and uh, and we can kind of joke around this about this because no one was in no one was killed um, apparently no one was even really injured which is I kind of miraculous walked away, yeah um, yeah you could call that an off ground landing of the week yeah I know uh, so uh, and and the and the question is well what, what you were guy joking about he didn't see this he didn't you know the, the way I heard the story this is actually a little bit interesting all right um, the way I heard the story was that this Ferris wheel f- Amazingly, had been set up right on the extended center line of this of this runway. Right? Yeah, about fifty yards. They said. Right. And so this guy was like doing whatever he was doing, and he decided to do a go around. And because he had the nose high, but he was low. You know, he was flying low to the ground. He wasn't climbing very well, but he was nose high to, in order to climb out. He didn't actually see the Ferris wheel coming at him. And uh, the, one of the accounts I saw was that he was as surprised as anybody when he found himself hanging from a Ferris wheel. So uh, <laughs> I, it, it's just, that's, you know. That's got to just screw up your afternoon. Huh? Well, yeah, in so many different ways. Um, uh, but now, how, how would you log that time-wise? I don't know. Because he didn't get on the ground for about three hours. But the aircraft wasn't moving under its own power. Uh, that, that's a good point. Well, I'm sorry. Glide, that's gliding, ground. gliding. He gliders log. You know, you can log glide, glider time, soaring time. He was. A, yeah, but his, you only you only log that as soaring time. It's glider time. You don't log it as powered flight time. Wait a minute. This is a this is a powered airplane. All right. Now uh, maybe I'm being naive here. I didn't even realize there was a distinction. Are you saying? Oh that, yeah. That oh, glider yeah. pilots have a whole different column in their book. They do. They, they log it as different kind of flying because. Time spent flying gliders will not automatically get you a, a, a powered flight license. Okay. All right. Well, that's pretty interesting. Um, but but let's think <laughs> about this for a second. So so he's hanging upside down from the Ferris wheel, and uh, um, what if the engine had kept running? What if for some strange <laughs> circumstance the engine was still kind of idling, just chung, 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 right? Would that be logable time? Well, now that's a good question. He wouldn't be on the ground. He wouldn't be moving, but he would be under his own power. Yeah. See. So, what if well, the Ferris maybe wheel kept going around and around with him going? So you're saying that all of this, all of the, uh, all of the uh, uh, engine out training that I've done with instructors and examiners over the years should have been logged in a completely different. Uh, no, 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 not that. Why? No. What's the difference? Because you're in a powered airplane. Right, but he was in a powered airplane with the engine shut off. Right, so but he wasn't flying. You know, it's it's a it's a metaphysical hey, distinction there. If he wants to log that time, yeah. I am not going to stop him. <laughs> okay, you know, so, I just wonder if he could get cotton candy um, while yeah. he was hanging around up there. Think about this. That's right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, cotton candy while he's up there. Right. I'm saying, well, can we get you anything, sir? You know, would you like a, a an ice cream bar? Well, hanging nose down with the seats, with seat belts being the only thing that's keeping you from going forward through the windshield, probably not the most comfortable position in which to eat a coney dog. Yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's kind of like that. Uh, so I was watching MythBusters last night, and the episode—I think it was the new one—but anyways, an episode of MythBusters, and they were testing the myth about you know being in a car that sort of almost but not quite goes over a cliff and is kind of rocking on the edge of the cliff. You know. Oh right. And if a bird lands on one end, will and it send yeah. it over? That's the myth that they were testing. And, uh, um, you know, so it's that the guy in the airplane is kind of like, all right, don't move. <laughs> it makes me think there was a crash, a quote-unquote crash. Um, I think it was Boeing Field. 
a long time ago, maybe 10. Oh, 10, yeah, Cessna 150. 10 yeah, plus yeah. years ago, where the airplane managed to get itself hung up on a power line, all right? By, um, by one of the wheels. By one wheel. It's hanging upside down from one of the main gear, which had hooked over uh-huh. the power line. And he just got you know, the guys in that airplane going, oh, my God, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> it's just. How, how am I going to explain this at the hearing? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> we should ask him how he logged that time. Well, yeah, I guess, you know, it's <laughs> track him down. You know, by now that would have been, you know, he either would have taken advantage of this log time or not. So maybe, uh, maybe uh, anyway, so, so the guy, um, but this Ferris wheel thing, I, I mean, it, as remarkable as it was to get hung up in the power line. All right. You know, I don't know. I, somehow that seems a little bit more structurally sound. The Ferris wheel, this airplane seemed, at least from the pictures, it almost looked like the fer- the airplane crashed sideways in, I mean, you know, from the side into this Ferris wheel, but managed to not go through it, but to just get hung up on it without knocking over the Ferris wheel, uh, without destroying its structure. I mean, it's all of its structure, some of its structure. It mangled pretty good. I don't know. Yeah, but, I mean, it knocked one of the baskets out of place. Yeah, which fortunately was not occupied, apparently. I don't know. Fortunately, it was not occupied. Yeah. Now, what kind of airplane was this? Because I, I, it, it looks like a small, you know, kind of conventional airplane, but I get some of the reports we're describing as an ultralight. Do we know what kind of airplane it was? I do not know the model, but apparently it was one of the category that operates over there under microlight rules. Right. Uh, microlight rules are a step above our ultralights and below what we consider light sport now. Uh, and the microlight categories, like in Australia and Canada and England, uh, were those nations' answer to the ultralight craze back in the early 80s. Right. And he said, "Well, we're going to we're going to give our people uh, an opportunity to do a little more than just single seat and you know fifty five knots." And so I don't remember the parameters specifically, but uh, you know, two seats, fixed gear, uh, a horsepower limit, and a weight limit. I want to say eleven hundred pounds, mm-hmm. or it may have been five hundred kilos, yeah. four fifty or five hundred kilos, something like that. Uh, so it's you know less than a Cherokee, uh, more than a CT, uh, or I mean less. I should say less than a CT, more less than a Cherokee, less than a CT, more than a Part One Hundred Three airplane, mm-hmm. uh, and apparently built well enough to uh, to hold the fuselage together after <laughs> a, 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 a shearing. It, encounter with ferris wheel cables and structure <laughs> it's like you know i don't know so many possibilities well, here. what do you what do you i mean what do you say to yourself after you come you're flying this airplane along and you know whoop, you're in you're in a ferris wheel and, <laughs> yeah and you, you shut the engine down and you 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 overcome your initial you know uh, uh, being startled and your initial shock and whatnot. And you look around yourself, and I'm in a Ferris wheel. What what the am I doing in a Ferris wheel? <laughs> well, you know from the picture, and it's hard to see from the picture I'm looking at right now. But but it it seems possible that from where he was sitting, he couldn't actually even see the Ferris wheel. Um, he, it may have looked to him like he was sort of frozen in space or he was just sort of hanging in the air. You know, he was thinking, you know, this is that, this is that moment where time freezes, where you're about to die, right? You know, it's like suddenly everything freezes and you're just kind of looking at the world, you know, well, it, why it, am it, I not it falling made me wonder ground? what, how, how good a look did he get at that airport, which is called old bar, apparently, uh, on his way in, if he was landing at the opposite end and didn't anywhere on the approach notice that, huh? There's right off the wheel. center line, there's a Ferris wheel. <laughs> yeah. Well, blimey, uh, you know, uh, draw me a Foster's, I'll be there in a minute. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, yeah. I, it's my understanding he was doing touch and goes or something. Yeah, right, something and, like and, that. Yeah. And this one was a go around or, or maybe a light lift off or something like that. I don't, I don't know. Uh, so I, I think he was, you know, familiar with the field per se, not familiar uh, with the fact that there's a freaking... Ferris wheel 50 yards off the well, it made me wonder if he didn't pitch it up 
into uh, uh, you know a high angle of attack where the motor is keeping it, the power is keeping it from stalling, and yeah. it's flying along in a shallow mush. Right. It's mm-hmm. not really climbing, uh, but it's still going forward. Yeah. He was mushing along at such a high angle of attack, he wouldn't have seen that Ferris wheel with that plexiglass in the floor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah. So, anyways. It, you know, and there's, there's, there's little airplanes that'll do that, you know, quite nicely. Yeah. yeah. Now, so, so some listeners have suggested that this might be an off field landing of the week. I'm <laughs> not so sure. Well, everybody walked away. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not sure if we can even qualify this as a landing. All right. This is not a landing. He was not trying to land. He was not. Uh, no, this is a crash. I'm but sorry. the outcome of this was, in effect, a landing. Uh, right. Well, that you can walk away from. Yeah, I know. Any, well, any, that you can walk away from. Any crash in a Ferris wheel that you can walk away from. It's a good one. There you go. <laughs> it, 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 was, it, it was a short field and a spinning field landing. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you know, who knows? Some Navy somewhere might. I want to think about this as a way to recover aircraft on, on aboard ships. Yeah, well, you know, you they, used to, yeah. they, they used to hang these things out on the side of ships, and guys uh-huh. with hooks on the top of the airplane uh-huh. would fly into them and get snagged. Uh, you know, ship a battleship would be making about 28 knots, and the airplane would be going about into 29, uh-huh. and <laughs> near its full power. Yeah. Yeah, it was a sort of um, yeah. Didn't they try and recover aircraft um, onto uh, airships this way? Oh, they did. Yeah, yeah. they, they did. had some sort of hook yeah. that hung down, and or, or some sort of. They recovered them on airships. They recovered them on naval vessels. Yeah, uh, there, I've, there seen, was even I've seen a, examples a, at Oshkosh where they still had the top rigging. Yeah, you know, there was even a scheme in in you know back in the fifties with B thirty six where they had a a jet powered. Um, and they call it a parasite fighter that was somehow uh, I think it was either mounted under the under the fuselage or under a wing and the idea was um, the pilot I don't know if the pilot would sit in the thing for the whole mission or if he climbed down through the wing or, or what um, but uh, the idea was if they were over hostile territory and and fighters started to attack the guy would get in this fighter and go defend the bomber the I don't know if the if he would try to there was a there was a trapeze kind of arrangement right at some point that uh, apparently he would try to recover the 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 parasite fighter back to the bomber and this was of course you know forties fifties sanctioned by the U S military which doesn't mean a whole lot of the, the common sense was involved but there there you go yeah yeah so anyways well all right then on some level congratulations to this pilot um, who's uh, let's see now uh, Paul Cox from Australia who flies uh, sometimes out of Old Bar Airport and. Uh, uh, congratulations we're, on we're used to any 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 landing in a Ferris wheel that you can walk away from is a good one. Welcome, folks. And, and just think of the T-shirt that this is going to generate. What's that? I survived the old bar Ferris wheel yeah, with a picture. I, I landed with, with in a Ferris wing wheel. Coming in. All I landed in a Ferris wheel, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, folks. Episode two hundred and fifty-seven of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise That's yeah right. this That's is right. this is the best seat in the house That's right. we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got sky riders now. Now. does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> <laughs> and you're on site clear around turkey central ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta We're recording this episode on uh, Thursday, October 6, 2011. And joining me here in the virtual hangar are a couple of my good friends. Uh, first of all, Jeb Burnside's out there talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How you doing, Jeb? Doing well, thanks for asking. Uh, another productive week, um, getting stuff done, and uh, looking forward to more of the same. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what's, uh, let's see now, what have we been talking about with you in the past, other than the one thing we can't talk about? Um, how's your airplane doing? Airplane's good. Yeah. Uh, now you had it be- in the shop for some avionics. Was that before Oshkosh? Or was that was that before. That was before Oshkosh. That, that's yeah. all done. Okay, that's all. Yeah, done. that's all done and, and sewn up and, 
and uh, everything's everything's jam up. Uh, flew it a week or so ago. Um, hopefully, I don't know. Depending on what the weekend brings here, uh, between social events and and uh, projects and stuff like that, I'm not sure if I'll have the opportunity to get out with it this weekend. But uh, uh, certainly by the uh, end of next week, I will uh, have put some more hours on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And and how's Wilson? Well, Wilson isn't around lately. Mm-hmm. Did, you remind, get, did the water ever come back into your pond? Water is the water is uh, the water level in the pond is is right back up to where it should be. Uh, there is an alligator. Yeah. For anybody uh, who's a new listener, Wilson yeah. is the alligator, the one of a handful of alligators that apparently live in the pond in Jim's uh-huh. backyard. So yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. A handful of alligators that might present the listener with the wrong picture. It would be difficult, if not impossible, to get your hand around any one of these alligators. This is true, yeah. So these are not, we're not talking baby alligators that you can pick up, you know, two or three at a time. Um, but anyway, uh, there is an alligator out there, about a five-footer. Um, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen Wilson. Wilson's bigger than this one. So Wilson's gone on to sunnier climes or, or uh, uh, wetter pastures or, or whatever. Um, but... Um, uh, this one alligator, as I say, he's about a five-footer, been kind of hanging around, getting some sun and, and whatnot, and haven't really seen too much activity out of him. We had a listener, it's been two or three months now, who wrote us a, a nice long note about uh, uh, how he'd listened to us <clears throat> over a period of time through some some rough circumstances. And um, he asked us to to name the next alligator after... Um, someone in his life. Let's yes. put it that way. Yeah, okay. And, and I, well, I have to find that email because I want to name this alligator after that individual. Yeah, per, no. Well, we, in, we in did his this already. Honor. No, we talked yeah. about this already. And yeah, I, what, yeah, what was the name of the individual? That's what I'm to trying him? to remember, too. I'm, no, yeah, we're going to have to look to this name up. the alligator after. I want to say Claire, but I'm not sure if that's right. I, I, it's, uh, Claire might be on. Uh, I've got to, I got to we'll look it up. My, we'll look know, it up. Or that listener should remind us, or someone should remind us. Well, let me open my email client here. While you're doing that, I'll say hi to uh, Dave Higdon, also also here in the in the virtual hangar. Joining us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. I'm just educating myself on the microlight. They called it a Cheetah S200. Mm-hmm. Was what the gentleman uh, uh, landed in the Ferris wheel with, and uh, what? Well, lovely flying weather, and uh, going to get a little flying in Saturday night, and a little trip in, and looking forward to it all. Uh, and hoping to steer clear of any Ferris wheels, pyramids, laser light shows, Eiffel Towers, and so forth on the way. Man, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous world out there for pilots, isn't it? There's just all kinds of hazards. Yeah, these things poke up off the ground all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Or don't poke <laughs> off the ground and they're in the charts. So we talked about that a couple of times, a couple episodes ago. Uh, yeah, mo- most of the high stuff is noted somewhere. Yeah, you know, long, long, well, things that come up over a weekend, like a Ferris wheel, uh, not so much. That calls for a Mark II eyeball. Yeah, although, although you know, you often hear that kind of stuff on the ATIS. If if your airport has an ATIS, um, they'll reference, you know, cranes and whatnot. Yeah. So, anyways, um, and I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in uh, beautiful but chilly Nottingham, New Hampshire. We're it's really def- definitely turning into fall here. It got really cold last night for the first time this this fall, and uh, and I'm moaning about this. And you you, you can't see it, but what? the world's smallest violin is playing just for you. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. All right, um, so uh, yeah, I, I it's it's beautiful though. The the leaves are turning colors, and uh, you, you got lots of firewood. Uh, no, we don't do fire. We don't do wood stove here. We used to. I'm actually, I was actually thinking about getting one. We we had a wood stove in this house. For more information that people really need, the house I live in live in these days, um, not for much longer, by the way. But the house that I've been living in for over a year now is uh, um, it's a, fam- a house that belongs to my family that used to be when since I was a little kid was a was our summer home. And uh, and so um, it's still pretty pretty darn rustic, but it's been been kind of enhanced and winterized and so forth over the years. Um, for years, it had a fire. It had various fireplaces and you know um, you know Franklin stoves and and uh, you know wood stoves of sorts. And a bunch of years ago, um, when we winterized it, we wanted a little bit more reliable heating source. So 
Um, and I regret sending the wood stoves away. I wish we had kept the wood stoves as a second source of heat, but uh, the uh, the wood stoves are gone. And uh, I think well, as long as one. you're not burning furniture, you're a leg up. Yeah. Well, there you know there are times in January and February where you know if I had a wood stove, you never know. Um, you know because it's huh. you know, anyways it gets cold and <laughs> you know and uh, heating prices. Well, anyways, you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see now. Uh, Jeb, you were looking something up? What did you find? Yeah, I haven't been able to find it. I, I, I'm, I, I don't know why. Yeah, well, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it um, out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still looking. So here's another oddball story that we we heard recently. This is about the 737 that – so the headline is um, – and what am I reading from? Oh, this is CBS News. So this is a relatively good source. I mean, you know, as sources Relatively, go. depending yeah. on the topic. But. Yeah, I know. Cockpit error sent 737 into Pacific nosedive. And there's even a somewhat dramatic picture that goes with the story that I'm looking at. There's a video on it. And an overwrought headline to start it out with. Yeah, right. Anyways, a Japanese airline says one of its jets nosedived and rolled almost upside down earlier this month because the co-pilot hit the wrong controls while trying to open the cockpit door so the captain could return from a restroom break. And so apparently the way this goes is the captain steps out of the co- out of the co- off the flight deck in order to use the bathroom. Of course, the doors are all very securely locked while these things are happening. So, um, um, so now the first officer is flying the airplane. Then the captain, whatever, knocks on the door, gives the high sign, the secret sing- signal, whatever, so that he can come back into the flight deck. And the according to the story. The way you unlock this door, the way you unlatch this door, the way you do whatever it is you're doing to this door is by manipulating a knob sort of on the central bank of controls in, in, the, in the flight deck there. And according to the story and according to an illustration that is labeled in, in you know, Japanese or something, um, this particular knob looks very much like the, they, what they describe as being the rudder trim. And what they're saying is that he accidentally manipulated the knob for rudder trim and not the one for unlatching the door. And as a result, this tipped the airplane into this dramatic rollover. So it was a commanded yaw and roll. Well, yeah, if you believe the story. (laughs) This just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I've never flown a 737, um, even on a simulator. But first of all, how hard would you have to twist the rudder trim in order to get it to do what they describe it doing? That's my first question. Um, you know, I just well, if if what you're commanding is the flight management system, and not commanding the trim tab directly or the trim uh, jack screw in that case mm-hmm. uh, that uh, changes the horizontal stab, uh, yeah, probably not a lot of force. So you're buying this, David. Oh yeah. Now, Jeb, I got the. I, maybe I was mistaken, Jeb. I sort of got a vibe from you that you weren't buying this either. I don't. I'm not buying it. I. I you know. Um, the Avweb story I'm looking at right now basically says the same thing. This was an A and A seven thirty seven dash three. I'm sorry, seven hundred uh, occurred on September six. Um, there's a, a Japan uh, transport safety board, uh, the Japanese uh, uh, version of the NTSB. Uh, transport safety board report on this. Uh, no injuries reported. Da 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 da. Uh, the co-pilot reached for what he thought was the control that unlocks the cockpit door and moved it to the left. The preliminary report states that the pilot instead grabbed and moved to the left the rudder trim control, which on the incident aircraft shares a similar position at the rear of the control pedestal. The four-year-old yeah, jet then reacted to that control input as it should. Um, I, I don't know. I you know I just find it odd in on several levels that there's a there's some sort of a control for the cockpit door that is on the center console between the two pilots. A B I find it odd that said control is similar to if not very close proximity to the uh, rudder trim control. And C. Um, why is there not some uh, uh, limitation built in here, uh, whether it's the autopilot or, in fact, the rudder trim control, that would prevent this from happening? First of all, you know, if you're going to adjust rudder trim, okay, 
you're not going to just, you know, yank it or, well, the guy thinks he's, he's opening the, he's unlocking the cockpit door. Okay. Maybe he's, he's going to yank it or something like that. But as soon as he started turning it, the aircraft should have responded. And the first thing you do when the aircraft does something, when you do something and the aircraft responds in a fashion you don't want it to, you undo what you just yeah, did. It's like, stop okay. doing that. Hey, <laughs> stop doing that. Doctor, it hurts when I do this. Well, don't do that. Don't yeah. do that. So yeah. I don't, the whole thing just strikes me as a little implausible. Um, as, as we, we, we kind of emailed back and forth uh, among us, um, between us uh, before we talk, started this episode, um, I do not, however, wish to discuss in any level, shape, or form um, the concept of 737s and uncommanded <laughs> rudders. Okay? I, just, I just don't want to go there. Yeah, I know. That's, yeah. A, that's a whole other topic. whole other a whole, uh, whole can other topic. Yeah, whole right. other topic. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, but, we'll, we'll move uh, on from this. Yeah. Well, here, the whole thing, here's the bottom line lesson. Okay, Stay out of airliners and this won't happen to you. Yeah, I know, right? That's a, that's a, that's right. So there's so many things that you gain by staying out of airliners. But, uh, anyways. Okay. What else here? Let's see now. David, you found an airplane for us $17,000. Yes, brand new. 16.5 on a tailwheel, 17.8 in tricycle. Uh, it's uh, be light aircraft. I'm not convinced we haven't talked about this recently, but go ahead. Tell us about it again, and I'll cut it out if I have. Well, we haven't talked about this recently because they just started building this puppy a few weeks ago. Oh, well, okay. We've talked about be light in the past. Yes. Right. But they've redesigned their part 103. Uh, well, they've redesigned a new part 103 offering that uses an aluminum fuselage structure uh, instead of welded steel tubing, which admittedly was little tiny tubing, but it was still enough to be heavier than what they could do with the aluminum fuselage. Uh, empty weight, 210 pounds yeah. on, the, on, the, on, the, on the tailwheel one. 210 pounds for 16.5. It's so light it can fly on a 28-horsepower hearth two-stroke engine and it reminds me very much i haven't flown it yet but i'm i'm working on that idea before it gets too cold uh it reminds me very much of what we used to be able to do with the all aluminum structure of the single seat max air drifter uh -huh. when we flew it on a 27 horsepower single cylinder rotax with a little belt reduction drive uh great big wing uh an aluminum tube fuselage with a box structure to brace it where the wing and the gear attached. Parasol wing, you sat out on the end. The only real difference here is that this airplane's set up so that it's got a tractor engine uh, and it's got a real fuselage instead of this solid or this, this single tube that the uh, drifter had. So, but yeah. you sit inside behind a windshield with your feet inside, all that stuff. Uh, and it'll make the ultralight numbers. It'll do about 60 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. So it's ready a, to fly, 16.5. 16.5, that's like engines and everything. It's really ready to turn the key and go flying. Ready to fly. Yeah, cool. So it's, now, what's it called again? I guess it's called a super light or a super trike, depending well, on. Well, the, these, I'm not sure how the Weebies, uh, uh, James and Kathy, are differentiating it because the little chart that we've got the link to just shows it as the 28-horsepower hearth. Uh, then they've got the – that's their basic tail dragger, basic trike. Then they've got a super light tail dragger, super uh, trike. Okay. Those are the steel tube airframes uh, with a, a little different wing and a little different engine. Uh, and – you know, you can still buy oh, into now. that for under 20. I see. Now it's working. Now go ahead. Continue. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, then you want to bump it up a little bit. Uh, so basically, you we've could, got the basic, we've got the super, and we've got the super plus. Yeah. Yeah. And it's basically and engine size is the distinction here. Engine size, and there's difference in the fuselage and the way the wings are built. I see. Uh, okay. The... The super light tail dragger and super trike uh, use more conventional materials in the wing. The super light tail dragger or super light plus, they use carbon fiber wing spars. Uh, they've got a three blade prop standard, parachute standard, uh, bigger wheels, better brakes. Uh, they cover the real fuselage with fabric. 
uh, have removable doors. It gets it, it gets to be a more involved airplane. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, when you get a chance to fly it, you're gonna have to report back and tell us how it goes, right? I'll right. be Just glad to. Bring one down here. We'll all fly it. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Let's and while we're talking about this. Because it's you, time for you a UCAP retreat to Hidden River. It, it is. Yeah. It is. I, I think that may be coming up. Uh, you mentioned watching Mythbusters a little earlier in our yeah. recording. Uh-huh. And B-Light and James Wiebe and his daughter and one of the B-Light airplanes are going to be the central element of a myth-busted or a myth confirmed on Mythbusters on October nineteenth, I believe it is. Now, okay, so are you certain this is a new episode? Yes, this is a new episode. This one hasn't been shown before. This is they're going to build an airplane out of duct tape. I'm not going to give away the plot. Oh, jeez, because they tried this a bunch of years ago. Um, there was an episode of Mythbusters where they uh, were trying to recreate a MacGyver episode, where MacGyver built—that's right, it wasn't duct tape—but he built a, an ultralight out of uh, out of you know bamboo and and pla- right. you know pla- right. sheets of plastic or something like that. All right, and they tried to recreate this and 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 they tried to fly it, and they actually convinced themselves that it flew, but it didn't. They they basically flew it off the edge of a cliff. It- it, it gracefully kinda, fell. It kind of went ballistic for a couple seconds and then just nosed into the, <laughs> into the quarry. Uh, but they were thrilled. Um, anyways, so that's not this one. This is a new one. Is no, no, this saying. is an all-new EP. Oh, really? Uh, okay. What's the date again? October 19th. All right, that's coming up. Then This episode we, might even actually be out. It's next Thursday. So. <laughs> oh, that's just hopeless. Oh, wait, think. wait. No, it's not. It's two weeks from oh, right, the, there's Thursday a after. Right. There's hope then. There's hope. Yeah. Right. yeah uh, so. And but, it's Mythbusters. They'll play it. It'll be, this episode will play forever. And, and a oh, quick yeah. and dirty backgrounder is that uh, James Wiebe pitched them uh, using one of his airplanes in, in a, in a uh, myth challenge. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, we might consider it. We've done stuff with airplanes before. Send us some ideas. Yeah. So he sent them some ideas. Uh, they picked one, and they brought him and his uh, daughter in an airplane out to uh, the San Francisco area. Uh, this has been about six weeks ago, I guess now, maybe mm-hmm. a little longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they spent several days out there. They they taped it, and we just got word of the releases of the episode's air date uh, just a couple of days ago. So Cool. Uh, All right. Good. We'll I'm, check that if out. If I'm not home, I'm going to have it on DVR one yeah. way or the other. Check that out. Yeah, we'll check that out. Um, I don't want to talk about it tonight, but I do want to make reference to the fact – so I was watching Mythbusters last night, and after last night's brand new, you know, all new Mythbusters episode, they had <laughs> – uh, I think it was a premiere episode of this Penn & Teller show. Um, that, oh, liar, liar thing. Yeah. Yes. All right. Did you watch it? No. All right. So one – the, the premise here was that, that Penn & Teller were going to tell us – whatever it was, 10 or 11 stories, uh, amazing stories, you know, and, and all but one of them were true. One was made up. Okay. And <laughs> I didn't hang in long enough to see which one was made up. Okay. The thing that kind of bugged me and I kind of like Penn and Teller. All right. But this, this show didn't really do it for me. The very first of these things that they showed was the concept of, of an airplane. They were flying. It was like a 182, I think, or a 172, that kind of, uh, that, that, you know, basically airplane. And the notion was the, the controls freeze up. Can you land? Oh no, that's right. They they put everything in the fr- in the form of you can do this. Okay, the controls freeze up, but you can land the airplane just using the doors to, as if they were rudders. Okay, <laughs> and so they had these two guys um, who were who were credited as being stunt pilots, um, all you know, you're, you're hollering at each other across. You know, open the door now. Now close it. Open it now. Open it. Close it. All right, and 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 they. According to the show, according to as much of the show I watched, they actually managed to land this airplane on a road in the middle of the desert. Um, and, and I'm sitting here screaming at the screen. I'm going, I'm going, most people land airplanes without rudders to begin with. What are you talking <laughs> <laughs> right. Most people don't know what those things on the yeah. floor are for. Nobody uses rudders to land the airplane. Anyways. Yeah, but so if, I did, everything's, if everything's frozen up. Yeah. But and I, it wasn't clear to me whether they were talking about everything being frozen because if everything is frozen up, these are a couple of dead guys. All right, I think no, for the most part, no. yeah, not necessarily. Yeah, no, if, you if should the have seen pl- the flying. The pl- they could always find a Ferris wheel. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> anyway, let's come back to that later on when we know more about it. But I wasn't real pleased with it. I want listeners to tell me what. they Well, think. I guess that's your homework assignment is yes, to watch right. the rerun of it and. 
Yeah, and, no. uh, and I'll look the- for the rerun of it and, and kind of go. I was yeah. not happy. What what we'll do is we'll start lobbying Garmin and and Abaddon and everybody who makes a GPS instead of having a nearest airport button, we'll have a nearest Ferris wheel button. There you go. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, that's good. I think that could work. That could be useful. Well, the first time somebody gave me a ride in an air coupe, uh, yeah. they, okay. they told me one of the things that, you know, if, if the steering wheel, because on, on the original a classic air coupe, not a, not a current one. Yeah. Right, a classic air coupe, the originals, which had a yoke that steered the nose wheel left and right and had an interconnect for the rudder, had no rudder pedals, yeah. just pitch and roll. And roll yaw coupling took, took care of everything. Right. And the guy pulls down his window. He says, you want to see something cool? I'm, I'm going to signal a left turn. And he stuck his hand out. And the airplane turned left. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he doesn't have, you know, he's got no rudder pedals, and he well, doesn't have his hand on the yoke at all. Uh, and it closed the window. That's the same said, principle you do as, you know, stick, opening my... the door. You know? Yeah, I have no doubt. Exactly. That you, yeah. I have no doubt that you can control the yaw of an airplane like this you by opening and closing the doors. I just, uh-huh. if you watch the episode, you'll see that it just it was just way oversimplified if not totally made up i mean i was ready to vote because it was a voting you go online and vote for which one you thought was the fake one you know which was oh, the, the audience lie. participation right. and i almost went on instantly and said this is the lie you know and then i'm going you know what but you know, we've seen we've seen the media storytellers you know non-aviation people well, be much more casual with the with the, with the way with you know a- ask our expert listeners to weigh in and we'll yes. watch the episode and get caught up and then meet back here in a week yeah so anyway Anyways, um, all right, next item. Um, and I'm going to preface this by, by confessing that I have, in my time, been known to make some hard landings in airplanes, okay? <laughs> so, I, you know, I, you can't really, you know, throw stones here, except that uh, we're looking at a story about a DC-9. Uh, let's see now. On September 26th, a McDonnell Douglas DC-9, operated by Aeropostal, landed in Puerto Ordu- or oh, man, Ordaz, Ordaz, Venezuela, um, with enough force to crack both engine pylons um, at the airframe, leaving the engines dangling from the rear of the fuselage sides. Can I pick up from here? Yeah, go ahead. What, what's the story here? None of the five crew and 125 passengers were seriously injured, but when they, they showed up later in an amusement park, they found out that they were all too short for the e-ticket rides. <laughs> <laughs> no, all kidding aside, man, you got to hit hard. This is like crazy. I, this, That's why they couldn't get on the roller coaster, let alone the Ferris wheel. I was going right. to say, the Ferris wheel would have been the e-ticket for this. <laughs> I'm looking at the picture here that's on the um, AvWeb story that we're looking at, and uh, it's like... The, you know, that's, this company... That's this company airplane may have been serviced by the same people that serviced that Cherokee that ejected its wings before crash landing in oh, Australia right. a couple of years yeah. ago. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, okay, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. This is just one like One of these so- photos makes it kind of look like... Go ahead, Jeb. One, one of these photos kind of makes it look like the aft end of a B-1 with the engines kind of hanging down, you know, <laughs> at the tail, you know. And, and then, but this is, this, is like, um, this is like an oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I don't want to use something crude here, but have you ever seen the uh, bumper hitch scrotums on tote on, on pickup trucks? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure if I want any more information. The truck balls, you know, it's like yeah. so some of our listeners. Some of our listeners may be more familiar with an urban environment rather than a suburban or rural environment and may never have had the the luxury of being exposed to the the trailer hitch scrotum with, with, with exposure uh, being the correct word <laughs> all right that's so, what that, that one picture the one from behind that's the first thing it reminded yeah. me of and i was going yeah. oh man that's going to be popular at the truck pulls yeah. yeah um can you imagine being these pilots man they're going oh crap oh geez what have we done well, we're in so know, much trouble <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, I I wouldn't want to be the maintenance chief for this airplane. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. A, you, you know, this poor poor guy's got to hang these engines back on and, and repair all this damage. But B, I, someone somewhere down the road's got to kind of be scratching their head saying, "Huh, I wonder if those were really bolted on correctly." Right. That's what yeah. I. You know, we go look at the logs here and figure out what yeah, was going on. Exactly. Well, the pylons look like they came. You know. Uh, like the pylons didn't fail between the mount and the engine, but failed 
in the fuselage. Yeah, where right. they attach to right. the, to the uh, right. Yeah. So maybe it's a corrosion thing or something, you know. And, and I'm, I'm curious so why one of them has the buckets out and the other one doesn't. Oh, uh, that's true. The uh, air thrust reverser things. Yeah, right. Buckets, there's, no telling, yeah. there's no telling what got pinched or or adjusted, maladjusted in in when in the uh, linkages. Yeah. Yeah, when this so, thing departed the airframe. Anyways, <laughs> I wouldn't worry about that. I wonder how that's that the least of the their worries. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, oh, we're in trouble now. All right, all right. Well, we'll come back to this one. I'm sure this is. We're going to learn more about this one as time goes on. I, hope. I, I imagine it would have made it a real chore to taxi. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for flying Express Tube Airways today. Please pay attention as we disclaim ourselves from all liability for your discomfort on today's flight. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. And anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Now settle back and relax as we'll be taking off in just a moment. Hey, listen. So I know you guys are going to be shocked. I know you're going to be shocked. But apparently the next-gen program is behind schedule and over budget. I, oh, I, who would have oh, thought? Oh, hand me my winnings now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Oh, uh, what's the story here? Is somebody just doing an, an, a, yet another analysis about the Jeb? This seems like it's your 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 you turf. Know, what I, do you know? I, I came across this and and you said, oh yeah, that's a that's a no brainer for the next episode. Yeah, and threw it in there. I didn't really bother reading it that much. Actually, you know, this is um, um, we, we several episodes ago we referenced a piece that uh, um, in, that appeared in, in the Associated Press talking about next gen. And we referenced it as the Air Transport Association writing as Joan Lilly. I think it was Jack who referenced it that Mm -hmm. way. Yeah, okay. And and here is Joan Lilly writing again for the Associated Press, perhaps under the the guise of of the Air Transport Association. Um, But uh, to no one's great shock and surprise, I hope, um, uh, the government's program to modernize the nation's air traffic control system has run into serious problems that threaten to increase its cost and delay its completion, a government watchdog said. And this is the U.S. Uh, uh, Department of Transportation Inspector General Calvin Scoville said in prepared testimony to be li- delivered at a House hearing yesterday that the FAA's program uh, next gen. Um, is being held back by software problems that have delayed full deployment of a critical flight tracking system. You know. um, the, the, the system here is called ERAM, E-R-A-M, and, um, you know, the FAA um, has had problems with developing software and coming out uh, over budget and after substantial delays ever since there's been an FAA. Yeah. So I, I would I would hope that no one no one is shocked by this and has to take you know uh, their nitro pills or something. Well, it, one other thing bears to be said in back of this, and you're 100 percent right. It's always been an issue, and sometimes that issue has come to the front because of uneven funding streams and unpredictable budgets for these programs. So it's less in some years than they plan. So it's not going to get done as fast. And I'm not saying that's 100% of the issue here. Uh, by no means. Uh, there's lots of things that, that uh, could factor into this. Part one of them, the fact that the FAA is on its, what, 22nd continuing resolution uh, funding. Don't go, there, <laughs> don't go there, Dave. Calm down. Well, but, Calm down. You know, I don't... I- I don't think funding has anything to do with this. I don't think it has a lot to do with this, but I, I think funding has something to do with everything that happens over there. But at the end of the day, if you look back at almost all of these programs, and I can think of one big exception right off, they always got done. Sometimes they got done a little bit late. Sometimes they got done a lot late. But they got done, and the benefits, new computers, new routing systems, uh, uh, all this stuff that has come before this will get done. Um, and I was having trouble figuring out what the inspector general meant when he said the agency hasn't set deadlines for when key aspects of the new air traffic control system will be in place. I think he must mean the infrastructure behind ADSB uh, 
feeding all the air traffic to the to the controller screens because we have an equipment deadline by regulation and have had that for over a year. And the other one that puzzles me is, nor has the FAA made clear to airlines and other traffic system users exactly what benefits they can expect and when they'll be achieved. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm sorry. But wasn't the benefit more direct routing, shorter times in the air, well, better flow control, lower fuel costs, more utilization as a result, and they would be achieved when everything was done? You know, I don't. I want to turn this into um, you know all next. You know this this podcast. I should say all into all next year and all the time. Um, but um, the vast majority of of what next gen supposedly would do for us, we're already doing now. We're already navigating by satellite. Um, we're already you know um, communicating via. Um, um, Satellite via text or something like that. Data links. The, the, yeah, the thing, the, the, the things that next gen will will do or promise to do, and you know, I say promise with kind of with air quotes, um, is um, use use the algorithm, uh, use algorithms to to space aircraft more efficiently in the airspace, yeah. and that's all really well and good, but that's not where the crunches are. That's not where the delays are. That's no. not where the capacity problems are. The, the capacity problems are on the runways. The, the delays are at the airports. Exactly. And none of this is going to have a material effect on airline efficiency or, or delays or anything else until we get some more runways. Yeah. And I mean, the, I, the, go ahead, Joe. Um, Sorry. The, the, that's the bottom line here. And, and we, can, we can do all this software and computer hardware and, and all this kind of stuff as long as we want to, and we'll make some incremental gains over time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I, we're it, not we're not gonna we're not gonna succeed in in a safe in a in a, in a more efficient scratch the word well, safe. Their, at their uh, ultimate system. at their ultimate exploiting of the system that they envision someday being in place, and we're talking 22, 2022, 2023 or a little later. Uh, they expect their goal is to have this whole thing so integrated between ground control, vehicle tracking, aircraft tracking, uh, and the faster update rates that you can get with the newer technology to actually shrink down the spacing between airplanes going into airports to VFR levels in all conditions, yeah. in all conditions. Yeah. We, we've been down this road before. We've talked right. about this, and it's just but, like, you know, there's something going on with this, or otherwise, I, I don't see airlines like Southwest and Alaska uh, investing in the equipment to give them the capability to use required navigation performance arrivals and departures. Uh, because they say, well, we're shaving six minutes off of a leg. Six minutes doesn't yeah. sound like a hell of a lot, but when you multiply that times the number of flights on that route by the fuel flow of a 737 and the number of 737s making it, they must think it adds up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, Jeb's absolutely right. It, it's got to get down to the runway level for it to have anywhere near the full potential that they want out of it. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, let's move on. Let's move on. Um, so, uh, on a bit more serious subject, um, Jeb, is there new news about Air France 447? What, what's prompted these stories? This, there's one well, story in particular that seems to be floating around here. Tell us about it. Yeah, I don't know if there's any new news per se. There's a new report out um, from um, – let me see if I can find this the, – the, the, uh, the, the nature of the report here. Um, it almost sounded yeah, like this is, this yeah. is there's in, in France. France's uh, laws and you know, associated with aircraft accidents are a little bit different than here in the U.S. Um, and basically, as I understand it, any, any listener, feel free to correct me here. But as I understand it, whenever there's a death uh, involving an aircraft accident, uh, there's also by law a, a criminal. Uh, investigation. Okay, this is one okay. thing that caught my attention. Okay, so it's yeah. routine. It's not necessarily it's, it's, it's criminalizing this one. Yeah, it's it's routine in the sense that French law requires it. Um, how these are routinely disposed of, I don't know. But but basically, this report that has just come out here this week uh, is a function of this criminal investigation 
that that the French uh, uh, law enforcement authorities are are uh, conducting. And basically, what it said was is more uh, along the lines of collating and interpreting information than it is uh, presenting new information associated with this accident. But basically. Um, um, the, the, according to the report, uh, let, me, let me back up. According to this report in the news, the criminal investigation report states that the crew incorrectly reacted by pulling the jet into a steep climb until it slowed to an aerodynamic stall. The, uh, the money graph that, that I quoted here in our little internal uh, note-keeping system was, while referring to the aircraft's artificial horizon as they struggled to keep its wings level, the co-pilots also disregarded indications from the same instrument that the plane was at a dangerous nose-up angle, the document says. And we've, we've talked about this also a lot in the past, and we talked, one of the things we talked about was this uh, uh, a standby uh, attitude instrument that supposedly was the, the only real uh, working flight instrument in the cockpit. Uh, which presented, I, I've seen pictures of this, uh, presented supposedly pitch and attitude information as well as altitude and, and uh, I don't know about altitude, as well as perhaps airspeed information, all on the same instrument. And uh, that's the instrument they're talking about here, uh, which was the, really the only one left working in the cockpit at that time. Although there's one comment in this guy, there's two things that caught my attention about this story. One was, um, and maybe this is just me not paying attention in the past, but it seems to have more references to the content of the uh, cockpit, rec the voice recorder, uh, more quotes from the crew, uh, which which was you know disturbing but interesting. Um, the other thing I found notable is, is it's yet another example. I don't know. I, I hate to point a finger at the pilots because because they clearly found themselves in a just incredible impossible situation uh, maybe not impossible but but just an insane situation um but you keep seeing instances where they just kind of you know made the wrong guess i guess or you know they just it, one one that's mentioned in this story is uh, there's a quote from what they characterize as the junior co-pilot um who's saying i've lost vs vsi vertical speed indicator i've lost vsi um and and according to the story what was in fact happening was that they hadn't lost the vsi it's just that the vsi was pinned at its maximum descent right rate, right. you know. The VSI was actually reading quote unquote correctly, all right. Um but they well, it, it, was, it it had wound past its ability to to right. to scale. But right. they were they were not interpreting it correctly because they thought it was just broken, right? Yeah, and it was it, it was pegged at the bottom bottom right, stop. You know? So I don't know. I, anyways, I, were there more references is this new information from the voice recorder? No, or? not to my knowledge. Okay. I I think if if you go back to um uh, the interim reports that the BEA, the um, French version of the NTSB, uh, has published, um, they they have, I don't know if they have a complete transcript, but they certainly have excerpts um, in, in the way of a transcript from the cockpit voice recorder. So this is not necessarily groundbreaking information. The news here is that uh, um, this this criminal probe has released this document and it says X, Y, and Z, which, as I said, you know, at the top of the segment, kind of collates and uh, reorganizes some of the existing information out there. Yeah, okay. Finally, it's, I'm sorry, Dave, do you want to uh, it, it just uh, it, it brings me back yet again to what's stuck in my head this whole time, is they were presented with such off-the-scale deviations from what they'd been trained for as abnormal situations that they didn't know what to believe and weren't believing stuff that was true or misinterpreting stuff that was true. Uh, black night, storm, no horizon, uh, lying in her ear. Uh, you know, they're going to wind up being painted not in the greatest light, but who among us could say that we would come out of that same situation any better off? I know, I know, I, I, I it's it's a bad, bad situation. Anyways, moving on, moving on. Oh, another sad one here. Um, so um, a helicopter went into the East River the other day. Um, is there anything to be said about this? It's very, very new. Um, and 
Don't so know enough about it. It was a Bell 206, um, although yeah, the uh, the yeah. operator uh, had had done a lot. It was was I, I, I presume uh, a um, 135 uh, charter tour operator uh, operating in Manhattan. This particular flight was a Part 91 flight carrying family and friends of the pilot yeah. and, and operator. And, I don't have a uh, story in front of me, but from what I recall yeah. reading the story is that uh, the the pilot was. Um, maybe even the owner of the helicopter um, was the uh-huh. was sort of a principal or the owner of the helicopter service, who also uh, was the uh, manager or FBO or whatever of uh, of uh, airport in New Jersey, I believe Linden Airport. Um, he was uh-huh. taking um, some friends and visitors and family um, on um, some combination of a tour, and then they were headed over to Linden for dinner. And uh, they, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I think that if this is the heliport I'm familiar with, I, I, I did a job down in the very, very southern tip of Long of, of Manhattan a couple of years ago. And you looked out of the building that we were working in and you could look down onto this heliport that's right there. It's actually on the wharfs um, sticking out into the East River. And, and, you know, depending on the time of day, the helicopters were coming and going and landing on this wharf. And they just like lift off of this wharf and just take off over the river. Um, if I'm understanding the story correctly, what happened was that just as they were taking off from the wharf, uh, something happened and the helicopter went into the water and uh, pretty quickly went inverted and, uh, in the water. I mean, um, tipped over and uh, capsized, I guess is a better term. And yeah, they, uh, th- I guess three of the four or all but one of the people in the in the helicopter there, got there out. There were five. Yeah, Jeff. There were five aboard. All but one got out. Yeah, right. five aboard. All but one got out. Um, uh, and she, and, well, she was a friend of the pilot. Yeah. And so, I don't know, you know, again, we, it's way too early to know, but I have to admit that the first thought is that we're, we're looking at engine failure at that, what, there's a name for it in helicopter flight, but there's a time in Dead Man's Corner or something like that. There's right. a time mm-hmm. when, you know, when, you know, it's like helicopters can auto, again, I'm not a helicopter pilot, but as I understand it, helicopters can auto rotate very effectively if they are either going quickly across the ground or are up high. Um, but if you are low and not moving very cross, fast across the ground, there's not an awful lot to do if the engine fails. And it's like that dead spot in multi-engine airplanes yeah, where yeah. you know and the so, space between when you're high enough to do something about losing yeah, an engine. Yeah. So the experts uh, will tell us what, what happened here, but it sounds like what happened is that as they were lifting off, I don't know, the engine failed or something failed. And uh, and the airplane went in the water, or the helicopter no, the, went in the water. The pilot's name Paul Dudley, according to a number of pieces I've seen. He owns a company that manages a local airport in a New York City area. He so, manages Linden. Manages Linden, the Linden I mean. airport. Yeah, Linden. And uh, so, anyways, sad, and sad he, situation. Uh, he, he's not in a helicopter charter, or he's not in a helicopter tour business. Uh, he met his friends there to give him what amounts to the standard helicopter tour. Ah, okay. And... The striking thing about this is that it's brought out the, the you know the most butt-headed of political actions by people calling for limits on helicopter air tours and on the tour operators and it's like uh, you know yeah, here well, breathe breathe into the brown paper bag first I know, really that's never happened before has it you know breathe into the brown paper bag because this was a private flight it wasn't a helicopter tour all the stuff that you're talking about would have zero effect. On whether that accident happened. Yeah, it's a Nothing. tragedy, and and, and yeah. we'll, we'll learn more about what caused it. But it sounds yeah. like it was just a just a sad accident. And yeah, the, the description of the accident sequence, and of course, you know, here we go, you know, with eyewitnesses again, um, indicate that after, shortly after lifting off, the the um, uh, helicopter started to rotate uncontrollably. Uh, like the yeah. tail, like the, there was a tail rotor issue. Right, uh, something went sen- wrong. Very low. Yeah, I, I've I've since heard. Via you know some media um, that um, um, investigators so far have not found any mechanical issues with the helicopter. Well, it's it's way early. The thing's still wet. Oh yeah, you know, man, it just came out of know, the water a couple yeah, days ago. Exactly, Anyways, all right. Exactly. Um, our condolences to the uh, folks who were injured and killed in this thing and their families. But yeah, uh, absolutely, we'll learn absolutely. more about this as time goes on. Shout outs. What do we got? There's a bunch of things on the list here. Who wants to pick something? Uh, Don't everybody my- go at once. All right. Sorry, I got to get my breath back. 
Right, there's swallowing, Dave, and there's breathing. I know. I confuse the two. <laughs> <laughs> while while Dave is catching his breath, let me ask you a question here. What's the tequila that has a worm in it? Mezcal. <laughs> this was an opportunity for Dave to breathe. <laughs> like, like, he's dying, but he knows the answer to this question, right? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Dave. David, raise your hand if you're all right. All right, I say, say something mes- if you're all right. Okay. Yeah, I know. All right. Are you all right, David? You're going to be Yeah, gonna I'm good. I've got tears in my ears from lying <laughs> on my back crying over you. <laughs> all right. Tell us when you're ready, David. I'm red eye. <laughs> okay. Uh, I forget where we were now. Shout, shout out. Shout out. Shout out. Has anybody got a shout out? <laughs> oh, let's shout out the Texas Light Sport Aircraft Tour. Hitting three airports in the Dallas Metroplex, Addison, Denton, and Redbird, uh, in a couple of weeks, October 14, 15, and 16, a different one all day, or each day, I should say. Uh, quite a number of light sport manufacturers and their distributors are supporting this, going to have a lot of airplanes out. Uh, if you think this might be the way in for you, or you want to get started and take the step up trip, uh, one of those or all three of them might be worth stopping by. Yeah. Addison just had its re, its airport re, uh, runway resurfaced. Nice shape. Denton, there's good barbecue nearby. And Redbird, well, uh, it's south of downtown. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Uh, who else has got something here? What's the story yeah, on this Green uh, Challenge? I want to do a shout-out for the Green – is it called the Green Challenge? A, well, a bunch of listeners – a bunch no, of listeners called my attention to this over the over the last few days. It's um, called the it's called the Cafe Green Flight Challenge. Right. Somebody offered uh, up a big prize, like over a million dollars. Well, Google. why do you think they call it the Green Challenge? Right. And so they and they've been doing this over in some someplace north of San Francisco, Santa Rosa, I want to say, and uh, um, and a bunch of uh, of uh, teams um, um, entered, and then it got narrowed down to three. And then recently, one of them, um, apparently, uh, oh, how do you say this? Pipistrel. Pipistrel. That's right. Pipistrel, with their electric airplane, uh, uh, won this thing. They won yeah. like a, a million something dollars. Sorry. One point uh, one point three five million dollars. Now this aircraft was on display at Oshkosh. Yeah, as yes, matter of fact, it, it had been it had not been uh, flown before. They, yeah. they basically trucked it in. And assemble it on site. We had a, a listener. Our friend, the, the chocolate guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, who, whose name escapes me, and, and I'm sure escapes you, Jack. But, I'm afraid it does. Uh, yeah. Uh, it'll come to uh, me any second yeah. now. But. Um, he, who, was, who was volunteering at the booth and, and was just, you know, talking this up. And, and you know, I, I, got, I got by there and looked at it, and it was quite an impressive-looking aircraft, at least at that point. I, you know, you kind of want to see it fly before you, you get all gaga and everything like that. But the damn thing flew, and not only flew, but won this, this competition. Uh, sponsored by NASA and, and uh, by Google. Um, uh, that's quite an achievement. Yeah, no, very, very cool. Very, very it, cool. It, an airplane had to go... Note it had to average 100 miles an hour over a 200 mile course, and burn only I think a gallon per. Here's here's the paragraph. 50 passenger the, the, miles. From the NASA website, the paragraph is this: the winning aircraft had to fly 200 miles in less than two hours, and use less than one gallon of fuel per occupant, or the equivalent in electricity. The first and second place teams, which were both electric powered, achieved twice the fuel efficiency requirement of the competition, meaning they flew 200 miles using just over a half gallon of fuel equivalent per passenger. Yeah, I mean, yikes. Uh, right? Shazam, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah I know. Huh? Uh, very, very cool. Congratulations yeah, to very, them. Very, very cool. Props to uh, the team from Embry-Riddle, which is kind of a different kind of team. Um, they were involved. I think they were one of the three finalists, um, and uh, they made a good showing. Didn't quite come in in the money, but uh, but apparently did some good things there as well. And well, uh, there was another prize for the quietest airport, uh, airplane, and that was awarded by the Lindbergh Foundation. Uh, this was all done at Charles M. Schultz Sonoma County Airport in Santa Rosa, like you right, said. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, no word on whether the Red Baron or Snoopy showed up. Curse you, Red Baron! I thought you were going to say quietest was would be the airplane 
that was flying while hanging from the uh, Ferris wheel. But uh, <laughs> no, that one hangs from a power line. That's how it gets its. Oh, oh, that's, what it is. that's what it is. It, it wasn't flying unless the guy logs the time. Yeah. Brad Marzari is the listener from Stuttgart, Germany, who uh, right. brought us chocolate both uh, at Sun and Fun and at Oshkosh, and uh, um, is somehow involved. And I can now I'm gonna I'm just gonna, gonna I'm not even gonna try and figure this one out, but is somehow involved with Pipistrelle. I don't know if he's a staffer there or an owner or whatever, but he was there um, at Oshkosh on behalf of Pipistrelle and uh, and visited with us, and uh, um, and that's Brad was the one who uh, we it's, couldn't it's remember. It's the best chocolate I've ever been given. It Twice. Was, yeah, I know. It was great chocolate, I'll tell you. Huh? Um, let's see now. Uh, there was something else I was going to mention, but I've lost I it. Got li- I got a little bit of that chocolate right here. I got a little bit more of it right over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got one last package unopened that now that you mentioned it, I think goes really well with scotch. There you go. There you go. There you Any go. other shout outs? What do we got? Nope. No? No? Uh, uh, let's see. It was one of the things. Maybe not. Oh, uh, I thought it was neat and worth pointing out that uh, some member of Congress uh, came up with the idea that the Secretary of Transportation could sign some paperwork and get all the FAA people paid for that unexpected furlough they got back in July. And into August, yeah. when their funding expired, so they're supposed to be getting back pay now. Yeah. So no, that's a good thing, and that's not the rant. But, but uh, well, I'm not going to get into the rant about about the putzes who think that oh, it was a free vacation. Now they're getting paid, yeah. right? So, right. My my budget would live real well with a two week interruption in my cash flow. Yeah. So, yeah. anyways, Jeb, so, any other shout out? Nope. Nope. Okay. Well, that's Jeb. Jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor, and uh, he is uh, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Where can people learn about you on the Internet, Jeb? AviationSafetyMagazine.com is a great place to start. Uh, JEBurnside.com is perhaps not so good a place to start. Um, <laughs> then there's AvWeb.com occasionally, and uh, what? And um, AEA.net, and, and whatever you do, just don't Google me. Yeah, right. And uh, giggling while Jeb was trying to give his little plug there was uh, Dave Higdon, who's an aviation photographer <laughs> and an aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Je- uh, David, where can people find you on the Internet? Yeah, I'm Dave. Uh, Dave's not Av- here. Av- Avbuyer, knock, knock, knock. Who is it? Uh, Avbuyer.com, that aviation safety magazine address that Jeb came, the AEA address, uh, EAA.org, uh, and other places that I'm not allowed to, to, to reveal or I'd have to kill myself. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. And you can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com. And I thought you've been producing the, media for some time. For some time, I know, but you know what the heck. Uh, and aroundthefield.net. Uh, big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes and to help us with, helping us with other aspects of the podcast. Uh, thanks to Mike Morgan, Royce Earl, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much, just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, we can, you can, <laughs> we can, but you can too. Visit with all of us uh, at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings web page of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something? Live long. Go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. I'm planning on extending my life by several hours this weekend. Bye. In a, in a Ferris wheel? <laughs> That's enough. That's enough talking. Let's go fly and... <laughs> hey, MFFM. <laughs> <laughs>